Today, we discuss photographing in public. It's the title of a new book as we discuss street photography with George Schaub. Let's get started. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and uh, this is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between. And today it's going to be about street photography. We have one shot we're going to dissect, and I think you're going to really, really, really enjoy this shot. Before we get started, a couple of reminders for you. If you want the show notes for today, or for that matter, for any episode that we do, you can always head over to the website. It's at behindtheshot.tv. Find this episode, and I've got a small gallery of my guest work and a little bit that I wrote about George, and we're you know a bunch of stuff up there for you to look at. And the video is there as well. And of course, the show is available wherever you get your podcasts in two forms, audio only or video if your podcast app of choice supports video. And if your podcast app does not support video, the video is also at Behind the Shot on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, if you are watching on YouTube, all the links we talk about, just like they're in the show notes at the website, all the links are also down in the description on YouTube, so you can go find out some information there. But on YouTube, I don't put the full description and and blog posts that I write because YouTube has some character limits. I mean, they're fairly big, but there's a lot of text I've got up there. If you want to read the full bit, though, head on over to the website. And uh, one last thing I want to do is just thank my friends over at DVE Store. It's dvestore.com for all your digital video equipment needs. They have provided the high-def video, and I much appreciate everything that they do to support uh, Behind the Shot. And let's get into our guest here really quick because this is somebody we've been working on getting this show going for a while. And as I was researching George's work and George's history and his resume, et cetera, George is going to be an interesting guy to talk to. George, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Steve? Good? I'm doing really good. It's, it is nice Great. to meet you in person, sir. Well, here we are, screen to screen. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is the 2020, 2022 version of a lot of things nowadays. For sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mentioned looking through your your resume, your CV, your your website, everything. I was I was somewhat caught by surprise at how deep your career has gone. You are an author. You've you've self published a number of books. We'll get into the most recent one uh, a little bit later. You are an educator. You're an award winning photographer, and and I kind of want to start with your photography bit and history. You started photography in 1966. Is that correct? Well, actually, I was raised in a photographic household. My father was a photographer. He was actually a lab tech when he came over to this country. He came from Germany in the early 30s, and he came over to this country and immediately got a job on Lexington Avenue because he was an apprentice lab technician, photographic lab technician in Germany. And he worked in Lexington Avenue and worked for a lot of fashion photographers because Lex used to be the head, the, the center of the fashion industry in New York. And he also, because he had a family that he was raising, he did freelance work. And that kind of set me up in the way I thought about how you make a living and get around in this world is that, yes, you may have a job, but there are many other opportunities for you. And you never know where that opportunity is going to lead. So... Uh, anyway, so he had a, a, a full darkroom in the basement. Uh, he actually set up a dye transfer studio and did freelance dye transfer work in the basement of the house. Uh, and he had a camera club. A lot of guys in the neighborhood 
they would set, he had a, a psych, uh, you know, a, a background set up in the basement. And these guys would come over and spend two hours setting up shot of like an apple and cheese board. I mean, that's what they would do there. And, and, and I would sit on the steps of the basement and watch these guys do this. And they were working with four by fives. Uh, so, yeah, so it was always around in terms of my life. Uh, and then at one point uh, after college and all the craziness of the 60s, my father had set up um, a lab of his own. He had a shop, which was a custom black and white lab on Long Island. So um, after I got back from my travels and everything, uh, the family said, well, why don't you come and try this out? And I said, sure. And I'd been taking pictures all along, obviously. In college, I worked freelance as a photographer for a number of uh, uh, local uh, places in New York. One was International House, which is where all these students from all over the world came. And they needed a PR photographer. And they actually hired me full time to sit around and take pictures occasionally of some of the activities in this place. And I ended up playing a lot of chess during that job, I must say. So um, from there, after that, I came back and they said, well, we'll try coming into the business. I said, sure. So then I got into uh, doing custom black and white work. I, I've always loved black and white. There had been color there. My father had gotten sick, so I had to sort of come in and help the family out. And so um, I said, okay, I'm going to just do black and white. Color is a pain in the neck. Uh, and there's too many, you know, chemicals in color that I didn't want to really get involved with. So that's what I did for many years. And then I got into um, going out and shooting. And New York, of course, was, you know, a, a bus ride away, subway ride away. So I'd go into New York a lot and photograph there. And then I got involved with writing at the same time. Because which, which, my whole- which is an interesting part of your career, by the way. I mean, yeah. We're, we're talking New York Times Sunday Arts and Leisure section, Travel and Leisure, Popular Mechanics, PDN, Men's Journal. D mm -hmm. Did you have to make a choice at that time between photography and writing, or did you do both at the same time? No, because I was mostly writing about photography, and I would illustrate the pieces with my own photography. So it was kind of a combo package I could present to these magazines. I mean, I really miss magazines. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was great. Magazine World is terrific. You could do... There was so many opportunities for a photographer, particularly if you could write. Um, the world was open to you. You could you could propose anything. Like with uh, Travel uh, Holiday Magazine, which is, of course, defunct like a lot of the other ones. I would go in there once a month and see the editor and say, well, he'd say, well, here's a call sheet. And I used to give you a call sheet of all the stories they were going to run in the next six months was their editorial calendar. And he said, what do you want to fill, you know, in terms of pictures? Uh, so I'd say, okay, this one, that one, the other one. And that got me to traveling a lot and photographing. Uh, so that really worked out well. And I guess the, the real break, as far as I was concerned, was there was a, a fellow named Rick Salmon. I don't know if you know Rick at all. Rick is Rick, a good friend, yes. Okay, great. So Rick Salmon was the editor of Studio Photography, PTN Publishing, a couple of miles from where my lab was. And he used to bring in his work for processing and printing you know, for his articles and whatever he was doing. So um, one day he says, you know, I need an article for this, um, for my magazine, Studio Photography. I said, well, what do you want it on? He says, well, 
Uh, we're trying to do something with Olympus on how this is a great camera for street photography. And if you could take it out and shoot with it and so forth and so on. And then, you know, do the, the processing and the printing and so forth. I said, great, I'll do it. Uh, so that's really what got me started in writing. And at PTN, there were magazines for every aspect of photography, for industrial photography, for uh, medical imaging, for advanced imaging. I mean, it was one of the places where you could go in and walk from editor to editor to editor and pick up assignments. And that's how um, I got involved with writing for these magazines. And then, of course, there was a magazine called Darkroom Photography. And so I, my, that was my thing, Darkroom. Uh, so I started doing a monthly column for them. And then another editor uh, at, at PTN who was sort of unceremoniously bounced, if you will, um, he had a contact at the New York Times. And so he said, well, let's do some stuff for the arts and leisure section because they had a, a camera section and they had a, a photography section. It was a how-to. They don't have that anymore, but they had a how-to in there. So we sort of joined together and did that. And we'd go and we'd do the article. We never got in the office. It was The editor was a guy named Bernie Gladstone. And Bernie had was notorious for cutting off your last paragraph. So if he didn't have space, he would edit with, as we say, with a knife. And he would cut off the last paragraph. But nevertheless, it was a great place, you know, to, to write for and everything. And we'd go downstairs and he'd come down and he'd look at us and we'd give him the, the, the you know, the, uh, the package with the pictures and, and the story. And he'd kind of grunt and leave us. So we never really got to know the guy. But it was kind of fun, you know, to do that. And it was a nice kick to do it. So, yeah, so all of this stuff kind of meshed together where the photography got me into. And I was always a writer as a kid. You know, I had pretenses to be, a, excuse me, a writer. So all of this stuff kind of meshed together where I was doing the writing, the photography, the contacts, everything else. I was a busy boy. Well, um, and and you got, I mean, again, researching you was, was one of the most fascinating things I've done. You covered the LA Olympics. You were a writer, copy editor, executive editor at Popular Photography Magazine. You were the editorial mm -hmm. director for Shutterbug. I mentioned earlier a bunch of different books. And now your new book, which you've self-published through Blurb. It's called In Public, which just the title alone, you know, so many people would just put street photography, but In Public brings in so many different connotations. And I've seen your book uh, in PDF form and it covers it covers so many things that I, I, I don't think street photography would cover. You, you are journalistic in nature, obviously, in what you shoot. Your, your pictures, they all seem to tell stories. So- my my first question really on photography for you would be in all of these years that you've been doing it, photography has changed so greatly. I mean, yeah, we can go to film to digital. That's the easy one, right? But photography in and of itself, technologically accepted practice, all of that has the, the storytelling aspects has, has changed. Is there, a part of the changes that you've seen in photography that is a favorite change of yours, or is there a least favorite change of yours? Um, if we're talking technically, um, I really embraced digital photography when it happened. 
uh, it was almost a necessary thing because I was, you know, working as an editor of a magazine and I had to get involved with what was going on with that particular world. And I found it actually quite exciting when that changed um, because there was a whole new world to talk about. There was a whole new world to discover. I'm not a big artificial intelligence guy in that sense. I mean, I still, when I photograph, I go to aperture priority, I center weight my metering and all this other stuff. But the communicative possibilities of this of this medium are quite incredible. I mean, for example, when you when you self-publish a book now, you don't have to do separations like you'd have right. to do with, with film. Uh, you are basically working from the raw uh, uh, file that you photographed, and you can process that yourself for anything that I've self-published. And also for most of the books I've done since about 2000, it was computer to plate. It w- there was none of the separation stuff. So digital allows us to communicate a lot more in a sense and print. Uh, and I've always loved the print. I've always loved printing. Uh, and, you know, I was basically, I taught master silver halide printing at the new school for many, many years. I learned from some really incredible printers like George Tice. I studied with him for a while. So for me, the communication of the print is, is is incredible, but the book is also amazing. You can sit down and get a body of work, and let's say you've got, you know, different themes that you're working with. But now what you can do is consolidate those themes, find a reason for doing it, and communicate that reason in whatever way you write, or whether it's poems, or whether it's sentences, or captions. Uh, and you can create a real statement around a body of work that you've done. Um, so I, I find that's really good. As far as the other aspects of it, all the uh, obsolescence and all the changes in um, you know file sizes and different types of formats and things, well, I mean, that's part of the growth of, of, of what we have here. And I think you can keep up with it. But I don't think you have to. If you have equipment that's a few years old, you're great. If you have the right processing program, you're great. You don't really have to worry too much about um, changing all the time like you do with you know browsers and everything else. There isn't that much updating. But yeah, I mean, that part has changed. And again, I'm not a big fan of artificial intelligence and all. You know, find the eye. Well, I hope I can find the Maybe not the eye, but I can get the bloody scene in focus. <laughs> you know, I don't need right, a right. camera to do that for me. You, know? you, you said something, though, that is so key that I think people forget because, you know, we all get that gear acquisition syndrome. It's happened to me partially because I'm in tech for a living and I love the latest tech. But I mean, let's be honest. You could have a 5D Mark II today. And yep. make completely sellable images, right? Absolutely. You can you can very easily use an entry level APS-C sensor camera today, get a job, make money, and make sellable pictures. If you have, uh, I, I don't want to say the natural talent; it could be trained talent. But if you if you have the ability to make a picture that there is a client for, so that that kind of brings us up to I want I want to touch on this picture from your book, which as I was looking through your book, as you were assembling this book, what made you come up with the title in public? 
as opposed to all the other names you could have come up with. I love it because it's short, it's succinct, and it tells exactly what you're going to get. Well, because it's it's when you go out in the world that you begin to see these things that I have in the book. I mean, you know, I am also, and I, I love nature photography. Um, Ansel Adams is, not Ansel Adams, but, well, yeah, sure, Ansel Adams, but more like Minor White and that crew really appeal to me in terms of what they're showing us, in terms of how the camera lets us see beyond what we depict, in a sense. Um, but I realized that when I was starting to work on this, I spent a lot of time walking around. I'd go to a city, I'd walk around the streets, I'd walk around the back alleys, I'd walk wherever I was going. And these kind of things would sort of show up for me, and it was a way of my being aware of where I was. To me, it's all about awareness of your place in the world. And that's where the in public comes from. Because when I made or made the selection of these pictures, and there's many more um, that I that I didn't put in there, of course, uh, it was all about like sort of seeing people eye to eye. A lot of the pictures in the book, I'm really there in front of the people. Um, I'm not sneaking pictures. Uh, I'm not shooting from my waist like a lot of guys I know who shoot in the street do. I definitely... Um, now, you know, one of the things is that I'm rather tall. Uh, I'm about 6'6". Six, six. Oh, so wow. I'm not really concerned too much about the street in that sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but at the same token, uh, I'm somewhat of a recluse as well. So when I go out there, I'm awake, I'm aware, and I'm really looking to understand human nature. I'm looking to to also sort of express something that goes on within me. And when I make a connection with a scene or a person, right away I understand that this is a picture I should make. See, I don't know that's that interesting really to me. That's really interesting to me because I love street photography, but I do find in maybe it is the digital world. Maybe maybe that's what has made this change that I'm about to mention is the ease of snapping a whole bunch of photos and whatever. But I, I, I seem to find more street photographers today are, are more putting out work that is uh, uh, graphically interesting, almost like a graphic design, geometrically mm -hmm. interesting, but I have difficulty finding the story in it. Whereas when I browse through your book, for example, I'm not going to, I'm not going to describe this picture in detail folks, because I'm going to tell you this, when I saw this one picture that we originally even considered for doing the show on, maybe we should do it again down the road, but it's the one with the guy in the bike on the wire, right? And they're looking right at you. You're not hiding. They're looking right at you. And there's another guy on the side of a chain link fence. You'll know it folks, when you get the book and you read the book, you'll know which one I'm meaning because it, it leaps off the page as you know, you're not trying to do a graphic design layout in the modern world. You're capturing a story that's unfolding in front of you. And I, I love, 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 love that about this book. But as I was flipping through pages, so I'm looking through, I have to try and describe this. I'm looking through uh, a PDF that George sent of his book in public, trying to think, you know, what's a good photo for us to dissect? And oddly, when I got to what is effectively the back cover of the mm -hmm. book, it stopped me cold, not because it was the back cover of the book, 
because that story, that picture had all of this. It's graphically wonderful. It's compositionally wonderful. There's text that makes sense. There's people that make sense. And there's even some that don't make sense. It's, it, it really, honestly, it's a mystery. You know, it's, it's the mystery wrapped in an enigma type thing, right? It's a story that you think, you know, and then you start questioning yourself. And, and I absolutely, as soon as I saw this picture, I kid you not, it was like, okay, that's the picture that we need to do. So let me just remind everybody, if you want to see a small gallery to get kind of a taste of George's work, head over to the website. It's behindtheshot.tv. I I also wrote a little bit there about George that you can read and find out more about him. And of course, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would do me a favor, if you like this show in general and you like what you see or like what you listen to, would you head to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts? Leave a star rating, uh, leave a written review. It helps with discoverability and it would be much, much, much appreciated. So, Let's get into today's image. Illusion reality is the image. And this is, as I say, it's the back cover of the book. And I'm going to describe this for those of you that are on the audio feed. But before I do, let, let's talk technical a little bit here. Uh, George, if you were, this was film, I think you and I were saying in the, in, in the green room before we recorded. But do you remember the body and lens you used for this? Yeah, uh, this is probably an FM2, an Icon, uh, and the lens uh, was probably a 28, uh, 28 F2. Okay. Um, do you still yeah. shoot Nikon? No. no. What do you shoot now? Uh, Canon. Okay. Which, which, yeah. Do you mind me asking which body? Uh, 5D. Okay. Um, and so do you, it was filmed, so you may not remember, but any inclination what you might have shot this at? Well, I mean, generally when I was walking around, I would shoot Tri-X. I mean, that was the, the, the sort of the combination of uh, good grain and, and fast speed. Uh, and I think in terms of the settings, it was probably, you know, it's sort of in the shade of the street, but there's some light hitting there. Uh, I would generally center weight, um, overexpose, underdevelop, uh, probably about F5, 6, or 8. Uh, and definitely about two fiftieth okay. of a second. Now, let me just ask you a question then. Why five, six, or eight? Did you always go around there? And if you did, why? Um, I just liked uh, the sharpness. Um, I was raised that the, the sharpest part of the lens is two stops down from the max um, or the minimum aperture. So I, I, I try to keep it at about F8 most of the time. Okay. And two fiftieth was that common for you that you always wanted well, to go? Well, in this particular, when I was on the street and there was people moving, two fiftieth was about where I wanted to be. Did you? Did you? This is totally separate from this picture, actually. But just yeah. in general, you know, there are different schools of thought in street photography where you want to tell the story and you want that sharpness, or there are times you want motion uh, and you want motion blur of somebody. Did you go both ways, or did you always lean towards the sharp? To sharpness. Okay. Because I knew I was thinking about printing all the time. Let me describe this for those of you that are on the audio feed. And I got to be honest ahead of time. There's a lot of times that I say this is going to be difficult. This is not a difficult shot to describe. It's a difficult shot to describe in a way that you're going to understand the complexity of the story here. 
because as I mentioned a second ago, there are some things in here that at first glance, oh, well that's, oh, wait a minute. No, it's not, right? So let me try and explain. <laughs> and, and when I'm done, George, you tell me where I got it wrong, okay? So well, it's, it's, it's I am beholder, my friend. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, it's landscape orientation, but it's not normal, you know, as we think of today, like a 4-3 ratio. This is a 16-9 image as it is done. It's black and white street photography, but it has energy in it, right? There is a person in this that is moving. Their hair is moving in the wind. Their feet are apart. They're clearly walking, right? So let me paint the scene for you, starting with the background. Picture the side of a building almost as though this may not be, it doesn't matter. I want you to picture in your head that you're standing on one side of the street, looking across the street, you see a very narrow sidewalk, like a European sidewalk. And, and this may be, was this in France? Yes, was in Paris. Okay. Because it has the narrow sidewalk and you're looking across the street and you're seeing a large picture window, like you would see at a department store, right? The window is dead center in the frame. And on this 16-9 frame, I'm just going to start with the window first of all. You have a little bit of street. You have a very narrow old sidewalk. You have a little bit of wall at the bottom, then the window. And at the end, at the top of the window, you have a vent and then the end of the picture. That's it. So this window is almost full height, okay? And it is almost exactly a third of the picture dead centered. So picture that first. Around the window is a black wall, could be marble, something like that. And on the left side of the window, on the top rule of third, it says illusion. On the right side of the window, continues that phrase, top rule of third, reality. And at first you just think, okay, there are words on a wall. But illusion reality, when you look at the rest of this picture, is spot on. Man walking on the left side of the frame outside the window wall, uh, he's in front of the, the blank wall. His hair is blowing up. He's got Velcro shoes. That's how much detail there is in this. One foot is about half off the sidewalk, clearly moving. He's wearing a shirt, a sweater, a jacket, and sweatpants. All the clothes in this black and white matched perfectly to very unique shades of gray in black and white. Can't overstress that enough. That difference in shade and even the sweater to the shirt, to the jacket, to the jeans, to the shoes makes this guy and his hair being dark makes this guy pop off this dark, black, blackish wall, right? But then here's the thing. And by the way, there's something on the wall behind him. I'm not sure what it is, but in the window now, in the window is square. The window makes a frame. And it's a frame within a frame. In that frame is a man with a suitcase on the left, walking the same direction, left to right, as the guy that's not in the window frame. And here's the thing. As you first see this, you think, oh, that's a reflection of another guy in the street. Okay? There, by the way, the street is like a cobblestone. Okay? And the image that's in the window is skewed. So the bottom of it is pushed back, right? As though you're looking at it from laying down. Here's where it gets weird. It's clearly not a reflection of somebody in the street because his shadow is going in a different direction. <laughs> his shadow is going from him down to the right at like four o'clock. Whereas the guy in the sidewalk, his shadow is going more like two to three o'clock for him. Totally doesn't match shadow, right? And then you realize in the window ever so subtly, on the right side of the window, there is a real reflection of a man walking towards the guy 
that's in the picture and in the street. So it is illusion reality. This is a brilliant shot, George. Just so wonderfully done. Did I miss anything? Uh, you probably described it more than I ever did. Okay. It, it's it's the kind of moment thing. I mean, it's when, you know, I'm not shooting, and you talked about digital. Uh, I'm not shooting fast frame rates here. This is one shot, one shot and go, because this right. kid's gone, right? Um, and I looked, I sort of stopped when I saw this thing in the window and the and the sign and everything else, and I said, Huh, and you can actually see my my legs in the center of the reflection of the window. Oh, that's you. I, okay. Yeah, and then yeah. I fade out as I go further up. So I'm there, but I'm not there. Um, Illusion this, reality. Yeah, exactly. So this the layering that you're describing is what I saw in the setup, as I call it. This was like a setup. This was handed to me on a platter. Well, um, let, let me let me ask you a question on that then. Were you standing on the other side of the street waiting for this yes. kid to walk in? You somebody. Interesting. And then you just somebody. timed it spot because he is in the perfect spot. Yeah, and it, this was a one shot deal. Um, and and when I saw him coming, I said, "Now this may be all in retrospect, but I sort of saw that his clothes were the opposite of the." man or the painting inside oh, the window yes. oh, you know, there's I uh, that. light jacket brown pants brown jacket light pants i missed that that's he good. lacked a suitcase which bothered me a little bit but at the same token i also knew that with windows you're going to see other things in the window and this other uh, uh figure uh and this is one thing about street photography you never know what you're going to catch because I didn't consciously see that other person walking in the direction towards both of these other figures. Until you developed it? Until I printed it. Wow. Because the negative was pretty thin at that point, as you can imagine. But then when I saw it, I went, oh, okay. Um, so that's one thing that's really important about street photography in my thing. Uh, if you look at the pictures in the book, you see that I'm really trying to catch a moment where um, things are happening that you cannot set up. There's people looking at you from a corner of the frame. Many of the pictures in the book, there's somebody looking directly at me, but is not the direct subject of the photograph. And I'm fascinated by that. So um, that someone is observing me as I'm observing this situation. And in some of the pictures, you'll see they're observing me with disdain or with um, curiosity, confusion. confusion. Yeah. Why is he taking this? What is this? This is not like, you know, the Champs-Élysées. This is, this is just a bunch of people jumbled together. So that's part of what I really enjoy about it. It's always a surprise. How far in this shot, how far away are you? Okay, I'm on a 28, so I'm probably right in the middle of the street. Okay, and then here's a question. I'm really curious what you're going to say to this because I have my own thought process about this, especially knowing now that, and you could not have planned both a real guy and a reflected person, right? There's no way you could have timed two people being in the right spot, but the guy on the right side reflected in the window isn't over the the 
the frame in the window that the guy with the suitcase is in. The person reflected in the window is in the blank spot, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to you, how important is the reflected guy on the right-hand side versus, Absolutely. versus everybody yeah. else? It's, it's a nice uh, cherry on top. Let's put it that way. Um, it's basically a nice surprise that he's there. But again, this is part of what I really love about this type of work. You're always surprised. You're always surprised by what shows up. And then you have the sort of instinct to emphasize the surprise. You mentioned a puzzle before. I see a lot of pictures and a lot of successful street photography that at least I try to make are posing puzzles. Are, are posing like, well, what, what's going on? What, what is this? You know, uh, it's the human puzzle. You don't know. You don't know. It, it, so yeah, it's it's a nice surprise. It's you know, again, I have a strong opinion about this. I almost think the ghosted person, the reflection in the window, the fact that that person is a, also within a frame, the the inset. Uh, skewed photo in the window does not really intersect them and they don't intersect the frame. They're right in that gap between them. Mm -hmm. I almost think that makes this shot and accidental or not. Again, I don't, yeah, accidental things happen, but I think when people are at your level, also accidents tend to happen a little bit more, right? Uh, preparation, timing, understanding, making sure that reflections weren't in the window that took him away, right? A lot of people would end up at an angle, maybe it's your height, would end up at an angle where you wouldn't see the guy even though he was technically there. Um, so much happening in here. So let's talk about lighting for this because it's obviously all natural light, right? Mm -hmm. But part of what makes this shot to me also are those shadows. The real guy's shadow is basically on the wall. The guy in the picture shadow, long shadow is going down and to the right. Were you aware of when you were capturing this, you obviously knew you wanted a person against that black wall with the mm -hmm. other person in the window, in the print, in the photo, whatever it is, poster in the window. Were you aware of the shadow angle at the time in the picture versus humanity walking down the sidewalk? Um, what I was aware of is that the young man on the left, his left foot is forward. That was essential to me that his left fo foot echo, if you will, the, the paintings, the subject of the paintings, left foot, the angle, um, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, wow. into like shadows, uh, hitting or, or dark lines hitting the edge of the frame sort of, uh, uh catch catches the frame, if you will, it, it holds it. Uh, it supports the frame, and that's what it does there. And I really love the kind of strange rhomboid that this we know is a square piece formed. And that, you're right, it's the subject of my height. Yeah. It's, it's so, the subject wow. of the angle at which it was taken. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking compositionally, right? I mentioned in the beginning how I, I love the fact that you know, your crop on this being 16.9, the illusion reality comes just slightly, almost like the baseline of that text is the top rule of third in this shot. Mm -hmm. The picture itself is dead center. So basically goes from left to right rule of third. The balance in this, really, the balance of the text and the visuals here all help what I would call, you know who Escher is? Remember Escher? Yeah. I, like I was well, a big Escher fact, fan. I was in his museum last year. 
I, two I, years I, ago. Big Escher fan growing up, and there's almost an unbalanced Escher feel of the people, the light angles, the skew of that picture at the bottom. How much of when you're standing in the street or on the other side of the street, whatever it was, how much of that, how much of that angle? So let's go, you know, to that geographical, the, the, not geographic, I'm sorry, the, the graphic design type aspect mm-hmm. of the picture. How much of that were you aware of pre-shoot? Um, I think I was pretty aware of it because one of the things I do when I walk around the city also or the street is I'm a big graffiti fan, um, but mostly torn posters. Uh, you know, it goes back to Rauschenberg. I mean, you kind of look at these things that are created and, and necessarily temporal. And so a lot of that is squaring it up or skewing it or whatever. So it's very important in terms of how things are balanced to me and how there is sort of a traveling through the picture. Uh, if you look at some of the other pictures in the book, I'm often, you're traveling in a circle from face to face to face as you move through the pictures. Uh, and that's what I look for too. Now, you know, of course, this is uh, subject to edit. And this is subject to how you crop it when you uh, print it. But at, by the same token, the emphasis of that is very important to me. So you just mentioned cropping and editing. I love the fact that this particular image is that 16.9 wide panoramic type feel. It emphasizes the text. It emphasizes the motion left to right. It emphasizes mm-hmm. the sidewalk and the street. But all of your black and white work has not even just this image, right? All of your black and white work has kind of a uh, a classic black and white feel to it. So this was obviously film. In the digital world now, what software do you use? Uh, well, you know, Photoshop, of course. Okay. Yeah. And is there a, a common workflow that you have? What do you normally do to your photos nowadays in the digital world? In post? Uh, well, certainly if I'm uh, working with black and white, the first thing is conversion. Uh, I'm very aware of the tonality. Uh, that's the most important thing to me. Like what we talked about with this guy with his layered clothing. Absolutely. I mean, I am not, you know, I mean, sometimes you do things expressively and you and you zap the, the tonality, you know, you get hard on it. Uh, but for me, the tonality is the most important thing. I was, you know, raised in, in when you uh, make prints, you do uh, contact uh, printing, and then you do uh, uh, timed, you know, strips, one second, two second, eight seconds, ten seconds on the on the print. You see what grade paper you're working with. I mean, I came up with graded papers and variable contrast papers, and that translates immediately to Photoshop, uh, where that tonality is under control. I don't do presets at all. I try to, you know, craft the um the tonality myself uh i'm looking for these this type of work open tones open open information uh you know the shop's open we want to see everything we can in this situation um maybe a little vignetting here and there but beyond that it's pretty straight up stuff do you dodge and burn too or um not necessarily because um it depends upon the image. I mean, I can't really give you a, a general rule on that. Uh, I will I will close off the edges sometimes. Uh, certainly in this print, um, the sidewalk I brought down a little bit because it was a little too hot for me. 
Um, But those are the things that are just standard, you know, darkroom work. Right, right, right. Because one of the things, every picture in your book did one other thing that I really, really liked. You, I, I see a lot of extremes, high contrast street. I don't want to say low contrast street, but kind of washed out contrast type mm-hmm. street photography. All of your shots do something that I prefer in black and white street photography, which is you use the full histogram. Like if I pulled this image up in, in Photoshop and brought levels up, this thing is zero to 255. Yep. Um, there's black and there's white. Somewhere in the, it may be a dot, but it's in there and the histogram hits both ends. And and your use of the spectrum that you have available to you, which is only effectively in the digital world, 256 shades of gray in black and white, uh, with a few exceptions, obviously. It's just, I, I, I love it. So I want to I wanna go into a speed round with you. I'm going to ask you a number of questions. Answer them as quick as you can. You got it. Ready? Mm-hmm. Your favorite street photography tip? F8 and B there. Biggest mistake you almost made or actually did make? Uh, freezing one day and seeing a burnt out building, which was great, and forgetting that I didn't have film in the camera, running in, making pictures, getting out to the car, and going, duh. Which is, which is by the way, I've had a number of people say, leave my battery at home, which is the effectively the same thing now as not right. having film in the camera. Your favorite comp, and this one's going to be an interesting answer. I'm just going to say ahead of time because I've seen the book and I'm not sure I know the answer to this. Having looked at your work, your favorite composition rule, if you have one. I think you hit it with the, the thirds and the balance also triangles. Okay, because I, in, in my head, I'm thinking of the one with the, the, the like tight rope with the bike on it and the person mm-hmm. behind the chain link fence. And, and I'm in my head, I, I, I'm going to have to pull it up later and look. In my head now, I'm trying to think what that follows, but I see triangles in a lot of your shots. That's a good one. Your favorite drink? My favorite drink, good cup of coffee. Favorite photo-related gadget or app? Probably a gadget or app. Light meter. Interesting. Okay. Favorite artist, band, performer? Well, if I was 20 years younger, it would have been a Rolling Stones, but now it's the Beatles. Okay. And last but not least, is there a photographer that you know of, living or not that you think more people should know about and follow gene smith gene smith why gene smith um first of all he was a fanatic printer and he was an inspiration to a lot of people in terms of the work he did his there was a book by jim hughes uh called shadow and substance about gene smith and i think every photographer should read that particularly people who do street photography or do um you know, uh, want to do photojournalistic photography. Uh, there's, there's an amazing uh, life that Smith lived. Okay. And I will have links to Gene Smith in the description down below if you're watching on YouTube 
or in the blog post over at BehindTheShot.tv, along with all of George's other links. If people want to find your portfolio, it's gshaub, G-S-C-H-A-U-B dot zenfolio.com. Right. That's where I have a lot of different types of work. Yeah. Okay. Instagram. What are you on Instagram? Not really doing it that much. More more uh, Facebook. Okay. Facebook. Uh, do you know what your uh, account name is on Facebook? Just me. Okay. So if you search for George Schaub, you'll find it. Yeah. Instagram, uh-huh. if you do want to follow him, it's George Schaub Photo. Uh, eBay, George Schaub Gallery. Uh, Twitter. Uh, I don't think you have a Twitter, right? Nope. Nope. Okay. And then where can people, and this is the the most important one, and I will have a link to the book in the show notes, but where mm-hmm. can people go to find the book? Well, if they, uh, I self-publish it on blurb.com. If they go to blurb.com, they just type my name in search and there it'll be. Okay. That makes it really, really easy. So George, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate Absolute it. Pleasure. I love your work and your book is pretty awesome. Thank you, brother. You've been great. I appreciate it Uh, very much. The pleasure, believe me, is all mine. Make sure you go follow George again. Let me just let you know the the URL for his portfolio, gshob.zenfolio.com, or find the book uh, in public. It's over on blurb.com, but I will have a link for that as well in the show notes. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Make sure you join us next time as we take a look inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. (laughs) 